0: Welcome to The Leading Reign, a podcast that tackles issues in the horse industry. Each week, we deliver insights into how technology can improve horsemanship and equine education. Welcome back to another week of The Leading Reign. So as mentioned last week, we have Natalie back on with us to talk through some summer tips. On the West Coast, at least here in Southern Oregon, we have been seeing record high heat. Uh, it's just been insane. So we thought we would take this opportunity and share some, share some tips on that. So Natalie, I will pass it over to you and I will let you um, kind of introduce this. And I know you have a really cool paper on it, or I guess right on your site. And so we can definitely link that for everyone to reference either after they've listened to it or while they're listening.
1: Yes, I've been thinking about heat a lot lately. yeah <laughs> uh, just a quick question for you. How hot did it get in that heat wave two weeks ago down in Medford area?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, I was gone on what was supposed to be the hottest day, but I landed back in the Medford airport at eleven thirty at night and it was ninety eight degrees and I've only lived here for five years, but at 1130 at night for it to basically still be a hundred was in Mm -hmm. and then that next day on Monday, it was a Monday. It was, I, well, my car measured it to be like 118, but I think out at the, the ranch, it was like probably 112, you know, 113 and all we could really do was just hose the horses off and for us, I mean, I grew up, so I grew up in Northern California where there's kind of like no relief from the heat Chico. It's like, it's just, you know, mm. you're just melting all summer long, but here you get the little like reprieve from it in the mornings. It's really cool. And at night, it's really cool. So you could justify it. You're like, all right, it's just a few hours of the afternoon, but Oh no, we were the whole, <laughs> this whole time has just been so hot. So it's been well, crazy. I have been experiencing the same thing. Oh my god, nobody
1: moves to Missoula, Montana for the heat. <laughs> and yeah, <we> right. <laughs> have, in the last two weeks, every single day has been reaching at least the 90s. We had several days over a hundred, which isn't terribly unusual for Western Montana. We usually get days up there, but not for this long and not this early in the year. It came shockingly early. And to look out in the future forecast and see nothing but high 90s is (laughs) quite alarming, especially considering the extreme fire danger here and how awful it is when the smoke arrives. You know, you can't ride and can't go to horse shows and keep your horse horse fit when the oh you know, smoke is bad so it, it it's certainly gearing
0: up to be a bad bad year yeah, don't and I know, as I say, don't get me going on the smoke.
1: Don't get me going on the smoke. Oh yeah, you. Oh, I. You know, I actually have nothing to complain about because I think your area is worse. <laughs>
0: it's always worse. It's always
1: worse. Yes. But, oh gosh, Yes, that will be a whole nother topic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing you can feed or supplement your horse with to counteract smoke, unfortunately. Right. Oh gosh. <laughs> but there are some feeding and management considerations for extreme heat waves like we've been having out here on the on the west coast so I came up with 10 things 10 tools for your toolkit if you will to beat the heat during this heat wave but future ones to come right I think the biggest biggest way to Counteract these heat waves is to simply be prepared for it, right? Basically, no matter where you are in the United States anymore, you're going to see extreme hot temperatures in the summer and need to adapt your riding and your feeding and management of your horses, right? Right. So, I've been thinking a lot about this on my own property for my own horses as well as my clients' horses and come up with 10 heatwave toolkit items, if you will. So, (laughs) Okay, I'll get started. So the first two items on this heatwave toolkit are really about just being able to watch and monitor your horse's TPR. So when I say TPR, I mean temperature, pulse, and respiration. And growing up in the United States Pony Club, you know, we were definitely like (laughs) the TPR was ground into our, our daily habits. It's a really useful tool, again, for taking the guesswork out of our horse's health. You know, I talk a lot about taking the guesswork out when feeding horses. What are the little ways in which we can put some hardcore numbers To managing our horses, you know, simple things like how much does your horse weigh? How much is your average hay flake? How much, how many pounds is that scoop you use for your grain? And the same can be applied to beating the heat. So the way we take the guesswork out of our horse's health during extreme temperatures is we simply get a thermometer, whether it's digital or the good old mercury kind of thermometer, you want a good, uh, well-working thermometer that you can uh, manage your horse's, or, or monitor, rather, your horse's body temperature. Do you know what the a horse's average body temperature is, Ellie?
0: Oh yes, well, usually between 99 and 101, and then depending on obviously where you're at and what you're doing, but anything too far above that. and this is the other thing I was just thinking about when you said that I was I read through this list all of these things you should have. like if' yes. you're shipping somewhere, I mean, I take temperatures when we do a long haul, like right when we ship yes. for a lot of the same reason. I mean a lot of it you know we are competing in the summer, so it is actually heat related. But yeah, so
1: yes, back That's to my fantastic pony. that you do that. Yeah, trailering horses in hot and humid weather is one of the greatest risks, right?
0: Oh my gosh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm paranoid about trailering horses in heat. So I'm I'm the one who gets up at two, three o'clock in the morning so I can haul during the coolest hours of the day. And yeah, taking your horse's rectal uh temperature is a fabulous way to take the guesswork out. So Make sure you have a thermometer handy in your heatwave toolkit or just, you know, in your veterinary toolkit. It's at least something that you can be doing when you're waiting for the veterinarian, right. you know, <laughs> Right. <laughs> at the very least, you can be taking your horse's temperature pulse and respiration. And so number two, number two in your heat wave toolkit is actually a watch. You know, you need a watch that records seconds. So you can take beats per minute or breaths per minute, again, to monitor your horse's well being
0: And one thing that I, I kind of learned, this is like flashback to, I I did Pony Club growing up, so everyone should know, and and we can, we can link it in here, but what the, what the normal is, and it's usually like 30 to 40 beats per minute. And then, um, your respiratory rate, like eight to 15 if they're resting. But like one thing that I Just hearing you talk about this again, and I'm just thinking about this list. Is you should know what your horse's normal is before you start comparing. Because you know, I have some horses where their normal temp is like 98.5 or 98.7, and it's Mm -hmm. just like a little lower. And you have some horses that just run a little hotter. They're going to be 100 all the time.
1: That's such an excellent point. That that is the key here, right? Is knowing what is normal for your horse. So. Again, the whole idea behind this heat wave toolkit is things that we can do now ahead of time to prepare for the next heat wave so that when it does come, we don't have so much anxiety built up around it. We have a little more hey. sense of control, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's emp- right. It's empowering.
0: <laughs> it's empowering.
1: That's a good word. Yeah, a good word. So, yeah, j- let me say those numbers one more time. You're absolutely right. Like a normal pulse range for a horse at rest, fully hydrated, no no stressors, <laughs> yeah. is uh, their pulse is between thirty and forty beats per minute their respiration rate would be between 8 and 15 and then again temperature normal temperature would be around 98 to 101 and record those you know put it in your phone have a little notebook in your feed room and and do those sorts of things habitually you know, maybe once a month, do it the first Monday of every month where you can record those things, set it aside. And that's extremely valuable information for any sort of extreme weather event or medical emergency too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the next one on your list here, which is so important, shade. (laughs) We all love shade (laughs) when it's hot.
1: (laughs) It's so such a simple thing, but it does require some forethought, right? Yeah. I I personally live uh, on a piece of property with four horses that has a lot of mature trees, but unfortunately, none of them are strategically placed in the in the pasture. And uh, unfortunately, my husband and I haven't had time to build shelters yet. We've only been here a year, and so some things that I've done is I've saved one corner of my pasture space where there are trees uh, for summer grazing. So I save all that grass and protect that pasture for nine months out of the year and then only turn them out during really hot summer days because there is some shade coming from the West and they get shade during the hottest parts of the day though it's extremely frustrating to do these things to plan so far ahead for your horses and then they don't <laughs> stand in the shade at all <laughs> yeah. which I know a lot of horse owners get frustrated with no matter oh, if this
0: it. yeah uh-huh. this thing in the winter too right like we give them we're like it's raining and you have a shelter and you're yeah, seeing yes outside. <laughs> and they're standing out in the wind and the
1: sideways yeah. rain yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you don't have some sort of permanent shade, you can get creative, right? You can put a couple horse trailers side by side out in a pasture and string a tarp between them, or just park a trailer out in the pasture in their pen or find ways to string a temporary tarp across stable structures for some shade relief, right? I've also always drooled over these uh, shelter logic, corral shelters, They're, they're affordable as far as, you know, compared to permanent or shelters, but I found them on Cabela's website for $279 each, but that does not include the panels necessary to mount them on. So, if you have a set of panels laying around, you only need three of them to set up, set up these Shelter Logic Corral shelters. But they're really cool because they provide a great amount of shade and under enough space, and there's no sides around them, so you get some airflow through them too.
0: Yeah, I was just gonna say the airflow in those is great because that's obviously another another big concern. Yeah, which yeah. you note further down the list, so we won't get into that yet. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> So next on the list is water buckets. And I'm so excited to hear you talk about this because I'm very passionate about types of water buckets. Mm-hmm. So I um What yeah, is your water bucket? I specific
1: just water don't, bucket
0: brand. I just more than the brand, I just do not believe in automatic waterers oh, at mm-hmm. all. In any way, shape, or form, unless we have a very um reliable method to measure how much that horse has consumed out of that automatic waterer a lot of horses i know uh when people ship them i've heard who we've experienced like i never ship horses somewhere new with an autom- automatic water and not put another bucket in the stall because mm-hmm. a lot of young horses or horses who have never seen it or been in that bar- they don't know where it's at they're small they're so small you know to get in there um so, anyways, that's really my only thing. Is I just, and especially in heat. So yes, that, well, that's my. Only
1: thing. <laughs> I think you and I are a lot alike in that way, and that we both spend a lot of time stressing out about water consumption. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, you know, there's a statistic that four out of five colics are dehydration related, whether it be impaction colic or gas colics or other forms of colic. So. I too am a big stickler about water consumption. When I go away and have someone feeding for me, like I write down check waters like five times on the instructions (laughs) because I know it's one of the biggest risks to my horse's health. And so, yeah, the importance of knowing your horse's normal water consumption and having some control over that water consumption is one of the most powerful horse health, equine nutrition uh, tools you can have, I think. (laughs) And that takes a lot of forethought. You know, you can't do this during a heat wave or even a few days before a heat wave. You need to, at the very least, if you've never done this before, get two water buckets. Get two water buckets that have some sort of volume lines on them so you can measure gallons or liters, quarts, whatever, and set those two buckets out. Flavor one, and we'll talk about different types of flavorings later, flavor one and don't flavor the other. Don't manipulate at least one bucket of water with anything. Don't change the temperature, don't change the flavoring or consistency, just keep it uh, normal for that horse. And then manage or monitor that water consumption over 24 hour time period. You know, it can be shocking how much a horse will consume over the course of that 24 hours. I know my own competition horse Last time I measured it at the last show, drank 15 gallons of water at a, you know, moderately temperate horse show.
0: Yeah. Well, I find also oddly, like the complete opposite of what we're here discussing. I almost stress about water more in the winter when they're not wanting to drink. It's like not super mm-hmm. hot. I think it's a bigger red flag in the summer. You see a horse not drinking. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, we're all sweating bullets out here. How are you not drinking? But I spend so much time stressing about it in the winter. i right it, there with you, girl. It <laughs> goes <with you. laughs> unnoticed so easily. But yeah. again, this, this is on our next seasonal episode. So we'll we'll table that conversation for then. But do you have a specific, is there like a specific size of water bucket that you recommend for people? to start out with, like if they are going to gauge it or anything like that?
1: Yeah. You know, something as simple as two five gallon water buckets works great. You might have to fill them once during the day and you can measure that 24 hour time period. I also really like those garden buckets, you know, Mm -hmm. that's what I take to horse shows and use throughout my pasture rotations and stuff. There's an 11 gallon one that I really like. And then it goes up to, I think, 18 gallons. Those are really good ones. They do have volume, some of the the brands have volume lines on them. But that's the important thing is, again, know what is normal for your horse. I have some clients that recognize their horses are really poor drinkers. And so we want to strategize and experiment with different management protocols to try to increase that water consumption when possible.
0: Right. Well, and that leads right into number five, which is electrolytes. (laughs)
1: Yeah, there's a lot of confusion (laughs) about electrolytes. (laughs) So, you know, electrolytes are sodium, magnesium, potassium. They are major minerals that your horse uses during work and sweats out considerably. It's shocking, actually, how much of these minerals horses can release in their sweat. during heavy work. But there's a lot, there's a plethora of electrolyte products out there. From my research, I don't believe in daily electrolytes. I know a lot of people, especially top competitors, think, well, it's a cheap supplement, why not just supplement every single day? But I have a lot of faith in the horse's Body and you know, your horse's body systems are very, very good at maintaining homeostasis. So, trust your horse's own body that if when they're strong and healthy to monitor those electrolytes for them. But I do like to use electrolytes strategically during high stress, high heat, you know, situations. So, for example, I always keep some electrolyte tubes on hand in my horse trailer for long hauls in hot weather or before and after a three-day event, you know, after I run cross country on a hot day. And also some electrolytes post-work, heavy work, can help with recovery the next day as well. So, if you're riding... If you have to ride in very hot conditions during a horse show or what have you, then I do recommend purchasing some electrolytes in tubes. And again, I like them in tubes because I can put it down the horse's throat and know exactly what they're getting (laughs) Every they're getting it. <laughs> I personally have experimented with electrolytes in water.
0: They never drink it. <laughs> so I've, Yeah, I've had the same thing. They, yeah, never, they, they, just, never drink.
1: they never drink it out of the water. And yeah, you can put it in their feed. But again, I find that uh, the best value for me is to simply buy the tubes and know that they're getting it uh, when exactly they need it and not spending money on daily electrolytes that are just going to be, you know, that come out in their urine or their manure.
0: Right. Right. Well, that's an excellent point because I think daily electrolytes are extremely popular. So that is a very good, very good point. Very good point to make. Okay. So your next one is back around to if you do want to flavor your horse's water. What do we do? Yeah, I
1: actually just read a really interesting study that was published in 2021 this year about flavoring and water. They were comparing several post colic horses and comparing their preferences between water with a sweet feed flavoring. So they were literally like soaking a sweet feed, for example, cob with molasses in water and flavoring it that way. And then they compared it to a peppermint flavoring and then a apple flavored electrolyte. And actually the horses preferred the sweet feed flavoring. So, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're like, we're one with
0: the molasses. So we don't want any of your apple. Yeah, okay? <laughs> good old
1: molasses. You know, ancient remedy <laughs> for
0: palatability yeah. issues.
1: And um, so, I I've also known several trainers that do just this. Like, they actually put they they fill their horses' daily feed. Now, this is on the extreme, but they because they've had so many colics, they do this every single day. <laughs> they put their horse's feet at the bottom of a bucket and then fill that bucket up with water, like a gallon or more of water. And then eventually all their horses learn to slurp down that water to get to the feed at the bottom. (laughs) Now, that doesn't work for every horse. There's a lot of picky eaters out there that won't touch it. But I do recommend experimenting with different flavorings. See what your own horse likes. But I would start with just good old sweet feed from the feed store. A couple handfuls, less than a pound is not going to influence that horse's sugar starch considerably unless they're extremely metabolic or prone to laminitis. For most horses, that's where I would start.
0: Well, and it's a really interesting point with the picky eaters and the picky eaters usually are going to be harder to coerce to drink in a in a tricky situation. And yeah. we do a lot of rehabs here and we, we did one, we took a colic. That was a pretty severe colic case from the vet clinic and had him here for a little bit and very picky didn't want to eat didn't want to really drink anything and it was exactly that it was little molasses a lot of water and some bran with a little like just soap you know like, so he thought he was eating but he wasn't eating he was drinking <laughs>
1: mhm that's fantastic yeah that's really interesting I think our main point here is just to experiment ahead of time, right? Don't do these sorts of experiments at home when uh, when it's, you know, all of a sudden 116 degrees out. Experiment with all these different flavorings and strategies well ahead of traveling or extreme weather events.
0: Yeah, totally. One thousand percent. So, okay, talk to us a little bit about salt, Great. Salt is so easy, such an easy step.
1: It's just a matter of going down to the feed store and getting a really cheap 50 pound bag of plain white loose salt. And when I say plain white, I mean good old sodium chloride, NaCl. Sodium chloride are, and, sodium and chloride are nutrients that are not not very dense in your horse's other feedstuffs like hay or feed or supplements. So just every horse out there should have access to a plain white salt source, good old sodium chloride. For my horses, that's a plain white salt block 365 days out of the year. I actually am starting to be convinced that the Himalayan and kind of these fancy expensive salts might be worth it for the (laughs) picky eaters that don't like to go to the plain white salt blocks. I think they're a little softer and have a little different texture and taste. So that encourages some horses to lick more salt. So that's great. But I also recommend having loose white salt available as, as well, again, for stressful times such as trailering or at competition or during extreme weather events where you want it Where you're trying to encourage water consumption, you can start several days ahead just by adding one to two tablespoons of plain loose salt into your horse's feed, or sometimes in the bottom of the feed pan, some horses will look it up, but uh, most horses will gobble up plain white loose granular salt in their feed. No problem. And the whole idea there really good tip. Yeah. The whole idea there is just uh, that first off horses need that sodium chloride for regular body function and it comes out in sweat, of course, but it does help encourage water consumption as well.
0: Right. That is a really good point. I've never thought to do it loose. So that's a, that's a really interesting, see, I I say every time I learn, I learn something new. It's (laughs) so much fun. It's an easy way to control their water, their salt consumption. Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay, so now on to um, what we all enjoy. I have definitely been caught standing in front of my horse's fan before. So uh, fans, misters, air movement, all of that good stuff.
1: Yeah, we all know that it's helpful for cooling body temperatures during extreme heat. Yeah, I think, as I wrote about, that my main point in adding those sorts of fans and misters and other devices to your barn is just to be careful that you're not overloading electrical circuits. (laughs) My husband actually taught me a lot about this, both in the winter months when we have a lot of hot water or heaters going to keep water from freezing, but also in the summertime with fans. Just be sure that you know what your barn's electrical Uh, systems can tolerate and then don't overload them right because fire danger is a very real thing
0: (laughs) and oh uh, yeah you don't want to keep hitting breakers too yeah no kidding I was gonna say there's nothing worse than you're just trying to do one thing and now the whole property is without power (laughs) right and you're like okay yeah all right this is we're all suffering very badly
1: (laughs) yeah you don't want the power to go out and then not be able to pump water or something
0: Yeah, no kidding. So that, yeah, that is definitely a really, really important one. And then that brings us to number nine on your list, which is bug protection. Yes, bugs come with heat. Bugs come with heat,
1: and we have a lot of them around here. Uh, My horses are surrounded by hay, uh, hay fields, in, uh, especially June and early July. So we have a huge mosquito problem. And of course, my event horse is extremely sensitive to them. So <laughs> I've developed quite a extensive <laughs> methodology for protecting her against bugs. I do have an arsenal of chemicals. Some people yeah. <laughs> might cringe at this everything from citronella and good old SWAT, which, oh my gosh, I love, all the way up to DEET-powered mosquito sprays. Again, some people are going to cringe at that. I know it's not the most environmentally safe thing to use, but when you see swarms of mosquitoes hunting down your horses, you'll appreciate DEET like I do. (laughs) So you do
0: you do what you got to do. You do what
1: you got to do. Like even I would spray her down with, with DEET, like 25% DEET mosquito sprays, just like the good old aerosol cans that you get for camping. I would spray the outside of her mosquito fly sheet so the DEET wasn't going directly onto her. But it was the only thing that gave her relief from the mosquitoes. Otherwise, it was like giving her drugs. You know, it was a matter like last year, it got so bad that she blew up like a balloon and had to have uh, steroids to to calm her reaction to the mosquitoes. So another thing too about protection from bugs is finding a good, durable fly sheet, right? Or, yeah. you know, if you have mosquitoes like me, finding a mosquito sheet that protects them from right. those. I really like the Schneiders mosquito mesh fly sheets. I have found them to be really affordable for how durable they are and how well they work. But I personally and I do think this is somewhat of a personal decision. I personally don't leave fly sheets on during the heat of the day. I don't know about you Allie, but I worry so much more about my horse's overheating than underheating, you know, or I, I think about that a lot when I blanket in the wintertime, but I really feel like we need to trust our horses' body systems to control their body temperature, and I am I, not a strong proponent of uh, UV or any sort of fly sheets during extreme weather events.
0: Yeah. That's exactly how we are too. There's I I kind of you know to me when it's once it gets over ninety, it's it's like too hot for them to be wearing another layer. But where we live, where when it's really 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 hot out, the bugs are a little quieter, and then when it's cooler out, the bugs are a little worse. Mm -hmm. So it does Mm -hmm. work out to throw that fly sheet back on um, when it is a little cooler. So something that I learned. When I was reading through this, when I was I was reading that, you're trying the concoction of coconut oil with swat. So one of my vets told me, he's like, this is like an age-old trick, but he takes desitin and mixes it with scarlet oil. Mm-hmm. And he swears by it. And I've used it on so many, like, I, I can't, I wish I could use it on myself. I'm like, I think it fixes everything. <laughs> I've used it on... Scratches. I've uh-huh. used it on huge, massive like lacerations. You use it as an Ivy pellet. And so they stay away from the swat from the scarlet oil. The oh, okay. flies don't like the okay. scarlet oil. That's awesome. And yeah. So, like said, I'm always up
1: yeah. for experimentation. I just happened to have some scarlet oil from some
0: scratches earlier. Yeah. So you just you just like mix it till it's like Pepto Bismol pink and you just lather on awesome. And the bonus is it's Good. Right. So I'm I know like, that's the benefit
1: of coconut oil too. I, I was actually consulting for a client just a couple of weeks ago and her horse had extreme sweet itch, You know, which is a uh. skin condition where they just like, have a horrible reaction to their environment, whether it be bugs or weeds or grasses or whatever. Right. And I actually got this idea from that client. She was mixing equal parts coconut oil and SWAT. And I thought that was a great idea because the SWAT can be quite expensive when you have to buy so much of it like I do right and coconut oil is so wonderful and it 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 smells good it soothes the skin and it kind of stretches out the length of the swat too
0: yeah and if you live anywhere where you have a Costco Mm -hmm. they sell them in massive containers so if you're on the hunt for coconut oil that is good bang for your buck learn something new every day (laughs)
1: <laughs> but yeah, you brought up Desitin and that was my number ten item as well. You find it for those of you who have never bought Desitin before. You actually find it in the baby diaper aisle at your local superstore or Target or or pharmacy. It's a it's a really great ingredient to have just a tube laying around for many things. I like you. I've used Desitin you know, mixed with other things as a scratch concoction and also as a sunscreen for horses with white noses. One of my horses has a, a strip that goes all the way down to her lips. And, and so when she grazes the clover out in the field, you know, the clover has some photosensitive chemicals that actually enhance sunburn. And so I smear a little bit of desitin over her nose to prevent sunburn. So another great inexpensive, you know, remedy or tool to have laying around before the hot weather sends in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like desitin is a little bit like duct tape. (laughs) Like you just can use it for so many things and you'll never regret.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's, I think it's going to be a staple from here on out in my,
0: my vet kit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 100%. These are all phenomenal, I mean, phenomenal tools to have in your in that toolkit and just kind of knowledge and know how, but things that also, I'm sure as people listen to other episodes that we will certainly do in the future, they'll hear these things recycled through because it is about being prepared for all of these things can be used for multiple different reasons and not just preparing for summer. So that's one of the most amazing things about having like, you know, sometimes you don't need to have a million tools in your tool chest because they can all be kind of used for different things. Yeah, so that's a great point. Yeah. So I feel like these are all very, very, very useful. And thank you so much for taking the time to share it and write this article. We're definitely gonna link this. We'll link this and share it so that way everyone can can resource it. But are there any, are there any like final summer thoughts that you have before we wrap it up? Yeah,
1: I think simplicity is key here. The most effective ways to prevent heat stress in your horse is the simple things, the shade, the fresh water. You know, not getting too crazy with with your water right. is important. And then just keep your exercise keep your horses exercise relegated to the cooler times of the day and you know the vast majority of horses are going to do just fine they're amazing amazing creatures right they can be found in the deserts of the middle east and then in the you know, the t- glacier coated tundras of the high north so they're amazing animals keeping things simple is often i think the most effective and then just some preparation beforehand, you know, gathering up this toolkit before the next heat wave will really help ease, I think, horse owners' anxiety. And it will certainly ease mine. You know, the, the horses yeah. that, are, that are at the highest risk certainly are going to be foals, overweight or fat horses, horses that have to be trailered in the heat. Yeah. And then horses exposed to the heat without any shade. So, right. yep, keep it simple. Don't stress too much
0: <laughs> and uh, plan ahead. Those are awesome tips. And like I said, we'll definitely link this. And as always, everyone can visit you on your website on course com. We'll link that as well. And thank you for taking the time second week in a row to share some of your, your wisdom and knowledge with us. Yeah, you've got some great tips as well, Allie. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> All right, everyone, we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Leading Rain, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining us this week on The Leading Rain. Make sure to visit our website, www.3rain.com, and subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoyed the show, share with a friend. We'll see you soon, and happy trails.